The Transmission, episode 92, April 11th, 2010. You told me you brought me here to the island to do something very important. Yeah. When do we start? Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we are here to discuss the fantastic 11th episode of season six of Lost, Happily Ever After. Up next, we'll recap that episode in under eight minutes. Then we'll share our thoughts on this episode. We'll get to your feedback and you all, everybody. We'll share the latest great track from the Others Lost band. And we'll wrap things up with a very brief forward cabin. All right, you ready? Let's get lost. Happily Ever After, Episode 611, What Happened? Desmond wakes up in the Dharma Infirmary and Widmore tells him that he's back on the island. Desmond attacks him and demands to be taken back to his wife and son. Widmore says that they're safe, but the island isn't done with him yet. Jin asks why Desmond is there and Widmore tells Zoe to take Jin to the generator room. Widmore says he wants to run the test early. They try to start things up, but the system fails. A worker climbs into a large crate to check some metal coils and when power is restored, he's electrocuted. Despite his smoking body, though, Widmore puts Desmond in the crate next. He says Desmond will be fine, but that he's going to have to make a sacrifice. If he doesn't help, he says everyone else will be gone forever. Jin tries to stop the test, but Widmore explains that Desmond is the only man he knows who has survived a catastrophic magnetic event, and he has to see if he can do it again. They start up the generator and crank it to full power, and the coils light up. Desmond starts glowing, smoking, and screaming. Finally, there's a bright flash, and we're in the flash sideways. Desmond bumps into Hurley and Claire at baggage claim, and he's met by George Minkowski, the limo driver. Turns out Desmond is now Widmore's right-hand man and just closed a deal in Sydney. He goes to see Widmore, who asks him to babysit the bassist from Driveshaft as he's supposed to perform with his son at a charity event that his wife is organizing. Desmond goes to pick up Charlie, who's been bailed out of airport jail, but he walks (laughs) off into traffic and into a bar. Desmond follows him, and Charlie asks him if he's happy and if he's ever been in love. Charlie explains that he nearly died choking on his drugs on the plane, but at the brink of death, he saw a rapturously beautiful blonde woman. He said he knew they were together and in love, but then he woke up. Desmond says that he should write a song, but Charlie says he's now seen the truth. Desmond says that Charlie can come with him and Widmore will owe him a favor or his musical career will be over. Charlie says it doesn't sound like much of a choice, but Desmond says there's always a choice. As they drive along the marina listening to drive shaft on the radio charlie says that he feels sorry for desmond thinking that he's happy but none of it is real he grabs the wheel and the car plunges into the water Desmond gets out and swims to Charlie's side of the car. Charlie puts his hand on the glass and suddenly Desmond sees a flash, not Penny's boat. Desmond pulls Charlie out of the car and they end up at the hospital. The nurse tells Desmond he needs an MRI and they load him into the machine. When they turn it on, again Desmond sees the flash of Charlie and also visions of Penny and the birth of their son. He aborts the MRI and goes looking for Charlie, bumping into Jack in the hallway. Just then, Charlie runs past. Desmond chases him 
him down and asks to see Charlie's hands and asks, who is Penny? Charlie realizes that Desmond saw something too. He says that nothing matters except that they felt it and tells Charlie to start looking for Penny. Desmond calls Widmore to say that Charlie escaped and Widmore tells Desmond to go tell Mrs. Widmore the bad news. So Desmond goes to the museum and finds Mrs. Widmore setting up the benefit concert. She's giving the staff a hard time, but when Desmond says Driveshaft won't be performing with her son, she says that what happened happened and not to worry about it. Desmond overhears the name Penny, though, and asks to see the guest list. Mrs. Widmore then freaks out. She says that Desmond has everything he wants and that he needs to stop looking as it's a violation. Mm. She says that Desmond is not ready yet. Back at the limo, Daniel walks up and tells Desmond that they have to talk. Daniel asks Desmond if he believes in love at first sight because he saw a blue-eyed redhead at the museum and he Mm. knew instantly that he loved her. That night, Daniel woke up and scribbled equations in a notebook, he said, and even though he's a musician, his friend looked at his notes and said they're complex quantum mechanics equations. He tells Desmond, what if this wasn't supposed to be our life? What if we change things? I don't want to set up a nuclear bomb. I think I already did. Daniel asks why Desmond asked about Penny, saying he thinks Desmond experienced the same thing. He felt love. Desmond says he doesn't even know if she exists, but Daniel says she's his half-sister and he can help him find her. Sure enough, Desmond finds her running at the stadium Jack-style. He introduces himself and they shake hands. Flash back to the island where Desmond comes to. He's perfectly fine and Widmore tells him that he was only out for a few seconds. Widmore apologizes and says Desmond's talent is vital to their mission, but Desmond says he understands. He reminds Widmore that he told him that he was brought to the island to do something important and he asks, when do we start? Zoe asks what happened, noting Desmond was beating up Widmore 20 minutes earlier. Desmond says a lot can happen in 20 minutes. Suddenly, Saeed comes out of the jungle, kills Widmore's men, and tells Zoe to run away. Saeed tells Desmond that the people he's with are dangerous and that he should come with him. Desmond says, of course, lead the way. Back in the flash sideways, Desmond comes to. Penny tells him that he fainted when they shook hands. Desmond asks if she'd like to go out for some coffee. Penny is confused but agrees, suggesting that they meet at a coffee shop in an hour. Desmond, smiling, goes back to the limo and tells George that he did find what he was looking for. George asks if Desmond needs anything else. Desmond asks if George can get the flight manifest, a list of the passengers aboard Flight 815. George says that he can, but asks what he needs it for. Desmond says, I just need to show them something. And And thud. thud. And that is Happily Ever After, the much-anticipated return of Desmond here in the 11th episode of season six we're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll share our thoughts on this episode Happily ever after, here we are well into the last season of Lost, but we finally get back to Desmond, the man who's special, the man to whom the rules do not apply, and the person who the island is not yet done with. So, did this episode deliver? I am still speechless four days later. It was Mm. so beautiful, just emotionally resonant and full of information, full of action. It was just, you know, I, I still, I mean... 
it it ended and I can't believe it was over so soon. Yeah, this is probably the first episode this season. I mean, every episode of Lost, you want more. But when that thud came, I was like, wow, it's already over. I mean, I really felt that we were only 20 minutes in maybe into the episode. So that was a good sign. I was on the edge of my seat. It kept me wanting more. We definitely want more from, from Desmond and to learn more. But I, I now have a great deal of faith both in what's going on on the island and I think significantly what's going on in the Flash Sideways. I think this episode is going to bring a lot of people back into the fold on that question. Yeah, I believe so. And this episode, you know, we have the return of science. We've had the faith conversation. We've had the, you know, uh, the religious conversation. I mean, Lost is not any one thing. It's one of many things. And I, for one, was certainly happy to see that we've got geophysicists on staff. We've got pockets of geomagnetic energy and a very clear connection between what we've been watching in Lost as far as the Dharma Initiative is concerned and what's still going on here on the island, that Desmond's ability to survive a big electromagnetic event as he has before is going to be key to the end game. Widmore's big plan on the island. And love is all you need. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a very love episode. I mean, it could have bordered on on cheesy, I suppose, but I think that they played it really well. I mean, they I basically too. connected all of the characters that we were we were we've been following, we've been investing. Yeah, in. Daniel and Charlotte and Charlie and Claire and, and uh, definitely w- Desmond and I've, for Penny. I've always been a Desmond and Penny person. Right, so. we're Pesmans, so this was a <laughs> fantastic episode for that. The fact that you know they're not together, but you they see the spark and you know that it's still going to happen. So I absolutely love that. Actually, you know, when we talk about what causes these realities to bleed through to the other, now I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, Claire's near-death experience is the near loss of her baby, and that's how she mm-hmm. got Aaron's name, miraculously. I think that might be one way to explain what happened there. So, near-death experiences, love, these are all key elements to see the truth, as Charlie says. Now, I guess that presumes that what we're seeing in the Flash Sideways, though, is not the truth then, that it's a lie, that it's false, that it's not real. So, what does that tell us about what's going on? I mean, does that make the Flash Sideways a waste of time no it doesn't make the flash sideways of waste of time i i don't think that they would go to all the trouble to bring us something that's a waste of time it's going to play into the end of the show we just don't know how yet right i agree i mean at first blush if you take everything that charlie is saying at face value that what they're seeing what they're living is a lie that that the other timeline the original island timeline is the truth it suggests that maybe they want to eliminate or, or completely remove this sideways timeline from the universe but i don't think that's that's the case in fact i think now more than ever you know when desmond says i want to show them something is that it's clear that the end game of the show is not just what Widmore does. It's not just the battle between Jacob and Unlocke on the island or what Jack or Claire or Kate might do, but that something also has to happen. Some great event also has to happen in the Flash sideways to give us the end game of the series. Well, see, I think that X-Time is just as valid a future as what we saw on the island. I think, you know, there's no reason why that can't be what actually happened. Right. I mean, I basically, I'm not just, I don't think that they're going to discount it. I mean, I don't think that they're going to say that it, it, it was a waste of time, basically. But my theory is that something catastrophic is about to happen in Los Angeles. And Desmond knows this. He saw this in, you know, whenever he saw it. I just think his task is to keep that from happening because it's going to negate island time. Really? Okay, well, we'll see that. I mean, he didn't seem particularly, there wasn't seem a great deal of urgency when he gets back to the car. Of course, he does have a date with Penny to look for. Well, no, to. I mean, that's just my theory. I don't know. I just, I see it in my head how it's going to happen. And to me, it just, it feels catastrophic. That, I, But I kind of like what you're saying, though, is that Desmond still, whatever his actions are when he brings everyone together in the Flash Sideways is to preserve the original timeline. Right. But I, but 
but that I guess still though not at the expense of the life lives that they're currently living. I don't I don't know. I haven't really worked it all out in my head yet. I'd like but. to see how that happens. I mean, one thing that this episode definitely suggests is, you know, many of us, including myself, had had this uh, fantasy in our head that the Flash Sideways was actually the denouement. It was the what happens after the Great War. It was an explanation of what happens to our characters' lives after whatever happens on the island happens. Right. But this episode clearly suggests that yeah, it's they're separate. They're yeah. you know they're not together. That they're not connected on a linear timeline. So I definitely think that was an interesting statement or reveal by the writers and creators of the show that you know they're helping us kind of cross off one possibility as to what it all means. Well, what I think is interesting is that Charlie sees himself in love with Claire on the island, and Desmond sees the birth of his son and his love with Penny. You know, on on the island timeline. Well, what about everybody else? I mean, Jack. You know, he has a son and a successful career. He seems happier in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Locke is living with Helen and seems pretty happy. And on the island, he's dead. So yeah, and and Ben. I mean, although he's you know not what his father wanted him to be, he's still stable and and relatively happy. So, in Los Angeles also. So when um, Desmond says, hey, why don't you take a look at this vision, however he does it, you know, how, that they're not going to pick that life. They're not going to go, oh, I'm with you. That's clearly where I want to be. That's absolutely true. It's not, you know, the truth, the other original timeline is not a better timeline for all of our characters. That's definitely a key point. I mean, Kate, we don't know really how things are for her off the island yet. She's still a fugitive, for example. Saeed, we, very ambivalent as far as how his flash sideways is, is going as well. Sun and Jin, I I don't know. Again, you know, sun's now shot, so that could be maybe they would prefer the island timeline. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing that I'm curious about is um, basically Desmond wants to see all of the passengers on 815, but we know that only our losties are the ones that are relevant to this great experiment, that this bleed through affects them. If you happen to be just some other guy coming back from <laughs> from Sydney yeah, to right, right. Uh, Los Angeles, you're going to wonder what the heck all of this is about. I mean, I don't know. That'd be kind of what, curious. Is he going to go be... looking for Gary Troop? Right. I mean, or <laughs> <laughs> or or Froger or all of these people. It, it's it's definitely an interesting question. But um, I think key, obviously, to the whole episode for the Flash Sideways is that yes, you've got this bleed through. Flash Sideways characters are becoming aware of the island timeline. My question is, do you think the opposite is going to become true? That people on the island, the Kates and Jacks um, of the of the island timeline, are going to somehow see that this Flash Sideways exists? Is that going to be a development coming up? Your guess is as good as mine. I would I would think so, you know? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me to have it one way. If it's a true bleed-through, then they would see both sides of it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are suggesting, even on the blog, Lucia and Oakland and, and several other people saying that maybe it comes down to people in either timeline becoming aware of both timelines and having to make that choice, you know, what is the right choice? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I personally think that that's going to open a whole other ball of wax because as we're determining, you know, they're not... Not all going to be on the same side. There's going to continue to be this rift in terms of, you know, which timeline they prefer. So right. we'll see how that plays out. Well, let's take a step back and kind of pick apart uh, the in the various parts of the episode. Most of it was off the island, some of it on the island, but I think the most interesting stuff was definitely off the yeah, island. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how did you feel when we saw Desmond in the baggage claim and uh, basically proving that he was on the plane, that he was actually there when Jack saw him, that even though he wandered away from his seat, that he didn't magically vanish off the plane? Well, that's good because I would have had a problem with an imaginary Desmond. <laughs> Although, 
I swear, and I am probably wrong about this, but I swear he is wearing a ring on the plane. Oh, a lot of people did see a ring on his hand when he was reading that book in the in the first episode of this season, and yet Minkowski specifically addresses its absence in this uh-huh. episode. So I think they still, I mean, there still might be something kind of interesting They're going on They're still fudging there. with it a little bit. Right, right. Although, you know what? Claire really should have take de- taken Desmond up on his offer. Right. Yes, that's true. <laughs> she ended up getting into the getting the cab ride from hell, uh, but she had that opportunity to go with Desmond. That's pretty cool. And of course, again, as we mentioned, George Minkowski is his driver. I think it was good to have him back. And it's not insignificant. I thought that it was just going to be, it, it's just yet another one of these great cameos. But someone on the blog pointed out that, wait a minute, Minkowski was the other character to go through the same time flashes that Desmond did. That's, yes, that's right. So, I mean, she's, he's not entirely insignificant. Now, I thought the contrasts with Desmond's original timeline life and this flash sideways life were pretty strong in fact maybe ov- overly emphasized you know that here he's he's got uh, mr widmore's approval he's a globetrotting a business life. person yeah, yeah but he has no attachments he's a free man in that respect but that you know he, that it's still it's an empty life charlie immediately picks on that you know his world is actually not that great despite how great he thinks yeah i mean is. if you have nobody to contact in an emergency that's a really sad state of affairs that's true that's true although that did bring up for uh, i think some folks and you all everybody the whole question i mean why don't you put your parents down on that list? Either his parents aren't around anymore or, again, that there's something significant about his background. He is the one character on the entire show who, you know, we don't have any information about his his parents. Absolutely. Although, you know what? I really love the scene with Charles Widmore because he offers Desmond some of his whiskey. Absolutely. I thought that was great. I mean, you know, it was mostly because of how much it hurt the uh-huh. original time around that you I actually kind of felt crushed when Widmore pours the two glasses and then says, you're not going to get any of this because you suck, uh-huh. basically. <laughs> and then here he's like, nothing's nothing's too good for you, Desmond. I mean, the satisfaction, the release of that moment was definitely a high point of this episode. So do you think Drive Shaft is a one hit wonder? No, I mean, it sounds like they're they're now more well-known. Somebody that Mrs. Widmore really wants to help his son play with in that um, hybrid concert that he's Miss planning. Charlie does say it's the beginning of great things. Right, right. Although I think it was also fascinating that still Desmond has no idea who they are. You know, have you heard of this band called Driveshaft? No. I mean, is that because Desmond doesn't have a life or is that something else? I don't know. He doesn't seem like the guy who would listen, sit down and listen to the radio. I mean, right. he's always on the go. Somebody who travels that much doesn't have that much exposure to what's popular, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I definitely got the sense that Charlie's life is better in The Flash Sideways as well, except that he's still a junkie, and again, that he now realizes that he doesn't have true love as he did, as he did in his vision. Now, there was, a, there was a mirror moment in this episode. Desmond, when he's getting out of his car at the airport courthouse, he sees his, there's a reflection in, mm-hmm. the, in the window. I mean, again, we, they're just worth pointing out because all of these mirror moments are happening, but Desmond's not a candidate as far as we know, but still, I think the mirrors are key to the people beginning to see what's so going on. So does Faraday. That's that's true when uh, he walks up to the window. Right, right. So, yeah. So maybe the reflections aren't necessarily candidate things, but certainly the start of maybe a recognition that something's wrong or that something bigger is going on here. In terms of recurring things, we again have choice versus, you know, fate or destiny mm-hmm. and, and free will because, um, you know, that, that conversation in the bar between um, Desmond and Charlie, Desmond tells him there's always a choice, brother. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it was key that, you know, Charlie's pointing out that it's not mu- 
much of a choice that why would I pick that path when mm-hmm. clearly it's going to lead to lead to great ruin and bad things when you know I should obviously pick the the course that you're putting in front of me. I think that's going to be the metaphor or that's going to be the situation that the entire show hinges on. That a, a choice is going to be presented before somebody, perhaps the person who's critical to confounding the man in black, and it's going to be a choice that's that you know from the from the surface looks like the wrong choice or the hardest choice, the most painful choice, but it's actually going to turn out to be the right choice. Right. So I definitely like the the, uh, the emphasis on that line there. Now, how about the car crash sequence? I mean, you know, Charlie doesn't really give Desmond much of a choice either, grabs the wheel, goes plunging into the marina, it starts filling up with water, very intense, and immediately evokes the death of Charlie. The water fills up inside the cabin. You know, Desmond does get out, so now he's outside the glass, and he's seeing Charlie in the water, but he's also, again, at peace with what's happening, mm-hmm. and he puts his hand up against the glass, and you see that flash once more, not Penny's boat. I mean, that, I thought, was a really powerful scene. Well, I know that you disagree, but Charlie's death was a very emotional thing for me. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, s- still watching it again, I mean, they've they've shown us this sequence a few times now. It still really got me. Oh, it definitely got me too. I mean, so I, I'm, I would only disagree in the sense that I'm worried. Maybe I'm just being defensive because I just don't like my heartstrings tugged quite so frequently. I mean, I basically don't think they can go back to the Charlie dying well many more times. It's not going to work that much more. No. But it was, it was effective in this scene. It's effective even when Hurley has that vision in the police station way back in season four, I think. And, you know, Charlie uh-huh. shows up in, in, and he has that kind of hallucination. I mean, so it's it was a powerful moment, an iconic moment in Lost, and so I definitely felt it. I just think I just can't see it any more times. I mean, I th- I think that uh, that wound has been picked really, really deep. What really worked for me though was the MRI sequence. Mm, definitely. Just you know, the the guy tells Desmond he has to push the button. <laughs> yes. And you know, there might be something clicking in Desmond's head at that point, but you know that when you hear that sound that the MRI makes, you know, it sounds just like the smoke monster. Oh, definitely. I think that was not, you know, that was certainly not a, not, no accident. There, and there's some similarities we're seeing between the smoke monster right. and, and an MRI machine that kind of it, it gets a hold of you and it basically scans you. And in this case, in particular, it gives Desmond those flashes. I mean, yeah, and also, you know, emotionally resonant moments where he sees, you know, the birth of his son, Charlie, and he sees him with Penny. I felt it, you know, I to me, that would have been effective if I were in Desmond's place to suddenly become a believer in what Charlie was saying. So I thought that was really great. I mean, just the claustrophobia of that machine. They mm-hmm. had that really tight close-up on Desmond's face, and they were using, I think, a wide-angle lens, so it just looked really warped and twisted. So definitely a really well-done scene there. I loved when um, Desmond arrived at the museum, and you know, the second that she gets a load of Desmond, her eyes get huge. Yes. I mean, she definitely knows that this guy is up to something. Or that he's very important or that yeah. he's key. I mean, she, she really looked like she saw a ghost. Or, I mean, uh, you know, give it up for the actress who plays um, Eloise. Mm-hmm. I really felt instantly that she she was freaked out and then instantly she's able to bury that and just be very calm and collected. Now, I kind of like the fact that they went out of the way to point out that she's kind of a hard ass. You know, she's kind of uh-huh. a tough nut. You know, you go tell her that, that drive shaft's not showing up. We certainly aren't going to do that Minkowski <laughs> says, "Oh, you know, good luck," and she's completely, you know, ripping that guy a new one over a butter knife, uh-huh. pointing in the wrong direction. So they go out of their way to show that she would flip out in any other circumstance. Desmond gives her a pretty significant piece of bad news as uh-huh. far as this party is concerned. And she's concerned. like, "La la 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 la." Yeah, that's yeah. perfectly fine. That's not, you know what? Yeah, that, that's okay. So I thought that was fantastic because, of course, first she has that moment of recognition, but then buries it. But then once you know Desmond starts poking around and asking about this penny person, she freaks out. She completely I goes. 
swear her voice changes. She's, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like something summoned from deep within her is coming out. It sounds like she's almost growling when she tells him that she that he can't look at the list. And she's clearly in the know. I mean, she clearly has a sense that uh, that there might be somebody giving Desmond this this possible vision into the original timeline. She specifically says, you know, someone has clearly affected the way you see things. This is a violation. Mm-hmm. I mean, a very specific choice of words there. A violation of the rules. Or of time and space, yeah. or of, you know, what is supposed to happen. So it's obvious that she's got a grasp or an awareness of this truth that Charlie's trying to get Desmond to well, see. Well, she wouldn't pick the island timeline because that's... You know, that's how she leads her son to his death. True, true. So, I mean, what I think is fascinating is that at least in this flash sideways, it seems like Desmond's initiative, Desmond's new plan, perhaps in concert with Charlie, is going to be at odds with Eloise Hawking. Right. Because she doesn't want the original timeline. She wants the flash sideways. Mm -hmm. She likes this life. She's with, you know, Charles Widmore. They're married. I mean, certainly not at odds like they were in the original timeline. Right. And she still has her son, Daniel, who's apparently a talented and happy musician. Well, I love that he's a musician because Eloise made him give up his his hobby of music at a young age to become a scientist. That's right. She said, it's my job to steer you on this path to be a scientist because you're going to do great things. But of course, doing so creates right. the loop by which she kills him as a I don't know. It, it gets a little headachey, but again, I, I, definitely a nice touch that he's a musician. Another and- reason why I love that he's a musician. We're told that a musician programmed the alarm code in the looking glass. Mm-hmm, and- now, I mean, we're thinking it's Charlie, but now that he's a musician, that brings, you know, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Right. I mean, I still can't necessarily explain how either Charlie or Daniel were the responsible for that in the past way on the uh-huh. island and the creation of the underwater station but yes we have more than one suspect of course some folks have also pointed out that even Jack had a thing or Jack's son True. had a thing for music as well so it's not necessarily clear cut but more musicians definitely make the story more interesting actually I thought it was pretty cool that uh, you know Jack's son David was playing a Chopin piece in his uh, audition the Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu in C Sharp Minor and that was the same song that we hear Daniel playing on the piano when they first cut to the scene here at the concert so i think we got a pretty good easter egg with eloise this week Hmm. um when we originally see her in the original timeline with desmond in the ring shop she's wearing a pin and it's basically the um the shape of a serpent eating its tail a loop Mm -hmm. and this time it's like it's two parallel lines with, with stars on them like, like, you know, it looks like an explosion almost. Right. I mean, I think that that was definitely significant, a great Easter egg. So before it was all about the cycle of life, maybe how things begin over and over again, sort of the theme that we've been picking up on last this cycle. But her, her brooch in this case looks like parallel timelines that are not intersecting, definitely not connecting. And specifically the stars, as you said, the explosions, maybe atom bombs going off, nuclear mm-hmm. bombs and, and sort of or cataclysmic events on two separate timelines that are that are connected in some way. So, yep, definitely some important symbolism, I guess, or some hints there mm-hmm. that uh, in some original world, uh, Eloise was one who believes in whatever happened happened or this cycle begins again or something like that. Yeah. And now she's in a world where these are parallel things that should not intersect or if they do that there's an explosion or, you know, some sort of cataclysmic event. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe we're reading a bit too much into jewelry, but that's what we love <laughs> about Lost. Now, uh, we also get in this episode confirmation that Daniel and Penny are half siblings. And I think that was a possibility and was 
suspected in the right. original timeline, but we get confirmation here. Now, Daniel is a Widmore, presumably because Eloise and Charles are on good terms and still together. But Penny's last name from the from the guest list is Milton. Right. So what do you think that, where do you think that all comes from? Well, what does it mean? John Milton is the author of Paradise Lost. Yes. So it might be just a wink to us, but um, my personal theory is that Eloise is Penny's mom, but Milton is her father. So, well, okay. I, I can sort of see that in the sense that that would kind of explain how suddenly and, you know, aggressively uh, Eloise is protective or defensive against, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Desmond getting interested in Penny. Maybe even Penny doesn't necessarily know maybe what that relationship is. Right. But in the original timeline, Charles snuck off the island to have a daughter with a woman who wasn't on the island and mm-hmm. who wasn't Eloise, who was his girlfriend on the island. So I'm presuming that that's still the case here, that Charles is Penny's dad, that her mother is some other woman but in this slide flash sideways at least the relationships between everybody is in better shape so uh-huh. still penny is invited to eloise's um eloise's uh, concert. concert but i'm not sure if it if it is significant I, when you said that it's a wink i think that might be kind of the end of the story as far as uh, penny's background i don't know i kind of like that there's a little mystery around penny i mean we weren't really sure in the original timeline who her mother was now we kind of don't know who you know what parent is whose and you know that kind of mystery is is fine with me yeah i mean i agree if um if as if it's just a wink if that's where it ends i'm perfectly happy with that Mm -hmm. now there was also a great callback in this episode when desmond goes to go looking for penny and where does she turn up she's running you know laps inside the stadium just like jack and desmond were way back when um what what does that mean anything in particular i mean is is penny training for a race around the world or something to prove herself to her her dad dad i don't don't know (laughs) but definitely a, a great reveal there i thought that was kind of fantastic although it did seem a little strange I mean, if you were a woman jogging at night by yourself in a giant stadium and Uh a man comes up you've never met before, he knows your name, tries to introduce himself in a charming way and then faints on you and then comes to, (laughs) is this a scenario by which you say, yeah, let's go out for coffee? No, I I wouldn't stick around. I'd probably run. (laughs) I mean, it it, it seemed like sort of the same question. Like, why would Claire get back in the cab with Kate after Uh everything that had happened? But I mean, I guess the the reason why I think it, it almost works, though, is I think what they're trying to say is how strong that jolt was at least for desmond i mean how much in love he immediately became and what desmond with with penny when he walks away and he's going back to the cab and he's got that spring in his step and a smile on his face i mean that's when my heart started to soar because uh-huh. he knew he was in love with penny and so we knew that there that good things were going to happen so i mean that uh-huh. made us happy maybe penny felt something like that maybe penny also had a jolt so whatever as weird and sketchy as the situation was she felt that maybe there was something more here that she at least wants to explore and they're going for coffee yes uh, who else was going for coffee juliet where she's going to go dutch with somebody uh-huh. so i mean i think that's not an insignificant you know mention i think that we might see that play out now and now we know in many ways she's also like desmond she saw that it worked you know that yeah. this flash sideways exists so that'd be kind of cool i was I, of course they gave a specific location you know sweetser and melrose i went on google street view of course like, you did oh, what's what's what coffee shop is there there's no coffee shop there's like an italian restaurant and a chiropractor and some empty <laughs> empty lots but there's no coffee shop there but i'll tell you what there should be yeah. and maybe there will be someday well uh let's jump to the aisle and not much happened because it was mostly flash sideways stuff but there were still some interesting things there, there was no previously on 
yeah, no um, explanation as to what came before. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess that's kind of what happens with Desmond's episodes, at least. Yeah. In some respects, it also seems, as someone said on the blog, kind of a ridiculous proposition at this point to explain in 30 to 90 seconds what happened on the show before. Uh-huh. But I mean, in terms of explaining, though, I thought there was some fascinating exposition when Zoe and, and Widmore basically say in dialogue, this Desmond that you're looking at, just to be clear, you understand the history, was the one that was shot by Ben and that had a relationship with Penny and a, and a son by her. You know, uh-huh. and it almost seemed like they had to kind of lay that out for the casual viewer as far as what his history was because he'd been gone for so long. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And yes, Desmond was the person who survived the catastrophic electromagnetic event. And so right. they're testing to see if he can go through that. And as we recall, you know, Zoe was looking for pockets of electromagnetic energy. This was just a test. So I guess they're going to introduce Desmond to one of these pockets of natural energy. Well, we had the swan and we also had the orchid. Right. So those might come into play again. Yeah, some, somehow Desmond has to encounter this stuff. Um, maybe he has to turn the frozen donkey wheel and he's the only person that can do it now. I mean, I'm not sure because both of those locations, one's been blown up and one didn't seem particularly dangerous to necessarily be in. So mm-hmm. there might be another one, but I'm, I'm definitely curious what that end game was. So Widmore scolds Zoe for taking Jin early. It's another reference to timetables things Mm -hmm. happening early which seems to happen a lot i mean there's a reference back in season three to everybody being taken early Mm -hmm. and you know i'm wondering how does all this earliness affect what's happening well i mean because the other early thing is widmore starts this test early you know he's always says this not supposed to happen until tomorrow but he wants to do it now Mm -hmm. so i thought it was interesting that that, you know last week widmore is like why did you do it early and now widmore is doing it early the timelines and the timetables are definitely key but it doesn't look like anybody's particularly consistent as to whether they're going to follow them. But now that we know that what's happening off the island is significant, I think maybe the timetable is, again, almost like the brooch, going to try to find the points at which this some kind of crossover can happen. But yeah, that's definitely a a good thing to notice there. Now, of course, the crate scene with basically where the guy gets zapped, as you had mentioned, and now we're... Desmond gets zapped. That was incredible. That was an intense scene. That's going to be like an iconic lost moment, you know, when they show the repeats on whatever network shows them. That's <laughs> going to be like the thing that they show. That and, and maybe Locke pounding on the hatch. I think it's like an iconic Yeah, moment. with the light coming on uh-huh. in the hatch. Yeah, this is that's definitely an iconic moment for Lost. I mean, in terms of all of science fiction, it just it just looked like something I'd never seen before. It yeah. was so brilliant, so intense and so amazing. Um, you know, and his body smoking and everything. I just thought that was that was definitely a high point as far as imagery on the show. Now, the little box where they're, you know, basically making all of this happen and presumably that either they built or the the Dharma initiative had at some point didn't that kind of remind you the interior a little bit of um, Jacob's cabin a little bit yeah I mean that that definitely does call Jacob's cabin to mind well what really got it was of course the chair in the room and they put Desmond in the chair uh-huh. and now remember the person who was in the hatch or in the in the box first ended up a smoking dead body uh-huh. I presumed what what immediately popped into my head when they started strapping Desmond in was that he was going to get zapped and then he was going to be really really out of it and his body smoking and he was going to say help me <laughs> but that didn't exactly happen but but definitely i think there's some parallels in terms of the environment in terms of the set that they built now what do you think is the sacrifice that desmond's going to have to make his it, life his entire his his existence yeah oh well that's pretty in that's pretty severe but i guess that would work well, actually that's only based on one thing what the fact that henry ian e. cusick has played jesus 
<laughs> so he has to sacrifice himself <laughs> to to save everyone else. That's that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I presume that the sacrifice would be the life that he has, the life that he has with Penny and and Charlie. You know, he's in love and he has a son. He's going to have to give that up. Much like Richard Alpert had to. Right. So, I mean, I think that was the sacrifice. But I guess if it's his whole life, that definitely raises the stakes quite a bit. Because, again, if he's going to give up his original timeline life, his life with um, Charlie and Penny, mm-hmm. then he that sort of suggests that there were going to be preserving the Flash sideways. And this is in the same episode where they're telling us that the Flash sideways is the lie, is the wrong life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a little confusing. I'm not sure what a sacrifice could be. Presumably, if you do introduce him to the most severe and intense electromagnetic point on the island, A, that could probably destroy the man in black, but B, that could probably destroy Desmond. So yeah. I think that's probably a safe assumption there. Now, the other question that comes up in this on the island is why did Desmond, when he gets, you know, picked up by Saeed, say, sure, lead the way. I'm with you. What was that all about? He's he's seen something. We don't, you know, maybe he saw the entirety of what we saw, his entire other life. Right. I mean, I think that's sort of the implication, but is that enough to basically have him, I I guess maybe he saw something we haven't seen. I mean, he definitely seemed that he was at peace, that almost like Charlie in The Flash Sideways is that he felt nothing could happen to him, that nothing Mm -hmm. could harm him because he now knows what the truth is and how things are going to play out. But it definitely was curious that he, at the same, within moments of agreeing to help Widmore, he agrees to go with Saeed. But I definitely think there's something else going on there. Anything else on the island that you noticed? I think it's interesting that despite everything we saw in the flash sideways, Widmore says, you were only out for a few seconds. Right. Desmond asks specifically, how long was I out? And he goes, no, not long, 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 just a few seconds. I think that was really, really important in terms of what it is that Desmond was going through. I mean, obviously, he was seeing the flash sideways, but the timelines don't or the the lengths of time aren't the same. And I think that's really key because, as uh, Deborah from North Carolina pointed out in a call, you know, if you go back to the constant, there was this long conversation about how long he was out. And each time it seemed that the flashes were more severe. Each time it was longer and longer. Mm -hmm. It was kind of exponential and it was getting harder and harder to get back so now he makes this jump in this episode and he's back in a second and everything's fine so I think what they're basically pointing out with that line of dialogue is that you know at this point yes Desmond is completely in control or at least in complete understanding of what's going on that mm-hmm. nothing else confuses him because everything else that he's been through before well um, my favorite I- uh, line on the island was uh, a lot can happen in 20 minutes, which is absolutely <laughs> true. This episode, within 20 minutes, I think basically the whole world kind of changed for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go, we like to talk about uh, locations used on the show. There were so many in this episode. It was a, it was a location-rich uh, episode as far as Hawaii is concerned. Of course, you had the airport once again. Yes, that's yeah. the real baggage claim. Now, the car crash scene, I was there when they filmed that. That was at the Waikiki Marina. It was uh, behind the Ilikai Hotel. They actually filmed it over two days, several times throwing that poor car into the water to get it la- to get it to land just right. The one that I saw and the video that I posted on YouTube, the car landed on its roof. So oh, that yeah. kind of goes against what they filmed for the interior, you know, the water yeah, tank yeah. scene. So they had to do it again. But that was definitely very, very exciting. Now, the curious thing about that location is that you'll see the two buildings in the background, the Hawaii Prince Hotel. Mm-hmm. So they're basically implying that this car crash, or they're showing that this car crash in Desmond's life happens at the same place as the background of the fake photo that was taken of Desmond and Penny when they take that famous photo. So I don't know. I thought that was an interesting connection. Probably accidental because they just needed a marina. But what the heck? I kind of like it. Now, the scene where uh, Charlie is released from airport prison or whatever that was (laughs) that was actually the attorney general's office on queen street downtown and what was fascinating is we kind of had the uh 
Magnum PI or Hawaii Five-O moment of the show <laughs> because he walks across the street and right across the street is Jack's, that dive bar. Yeah. But the dive bar is actually Anna Bananas, which is a real dive bar, but it's way down by the University of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So for anyone watching the show, you know, they show the, sh- the shot down Queen Street when Desmond gets out of his car. And so in your head, you already kind of get a feeling that they're near downtown. But he walks across the street and he's by University Avenue. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. But it was good to see Anna Bananas because that it seems that bar is always on the verge of closing. I mean, it's a it's a landmark for college kids, yeah. but I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be around. What else? Um, the office where Widmore was, that was completely constructed inside the old Nike Town building in Waikiki, right on Kalakaua. And of right. course, now it's pretty much vacant. Nike Town's not around anymore. So they basically filmed there. They used green screens to put the Los Angeles skyline behind Widmore. They were actually on the ground floor, despite what you see in the episode. But that's where that was filmed. And of course, I think one of the most recognizable locations in all of Lost, you used here was Bishop Bishop Museum, Museum, which is the museum where this big fundraiser was happening, the concert, the stage, the big tent was built out on what they call the Great Lawn of Bishop Museum. What I thought was fascinating about that location was when he walks around, where the the limo parks where Desmond gets out and and he goes back to the limo right around that corner of Hawaii Hall, that stretch of building, that backdrop has been used so many times. It was Russia. It was Russia for Saeed's scene with Ben in the snowy Russia scene. And it was, again, it's the waterfront where Desmond takes the picture with Penny. You know, it's Uh in the background when he pulls down that backdrop to take the picture. That's, again, the exact same side of the same building. So, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully, it's not too obvious to other people, but definitely for us. It's like, wow, they they love that location. And you got to see them film, I actually, yeah. They were keeping people fairly far back from the from the action so I didn't really see very much but you know we were definitely um, able to see some things happening and and here's a little anecdote I was in the the science center and I guess they were filming kind of an interview thing for Henry Ian Cusick's part on the in the DVD release and you know I was right around there and he smiled at me Ooh, so you got a little <laughs> melty there so yeah but again so Bishop Museum and it's a it's a we're members there it's a, it's uh-huh. a great museum you should visit it and it is a lost location as well as a great tourist attraction yes so very good episode as far as Hawaii spotting goes mm-hmm. but uh, those are our thoughts on happily ever after we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll hear from you all everybody <laughs> Ryan and Dan with uh, John from North Carolina. Holy freaking crap. I'm confused. I have no idea what to make of that episode at all. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Phil calling from Los Angeles. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What an episode last night. That was unbelievable. I was so excited uh, watching this episode. I love Desmond. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Lucia from Oakland. And I loved, loved, loved this episode. It was definitely my favorite of the season and certainly maybe in the top three for me in the whole series. Just fabulous, fabulous loss. Yeah, this is Jonathan in Pleasanton, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Uh, just calling about uh, the episode of Desmond, Happily Ever After. You know, I love Desmond episodes. I always think they're real exciting. And uh, this one definitely delivered just like all of them. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Megan from Virginia. I'm just calling about tonight's episode of Lost, uh, Happily Ever After. I don't have a lot of theories to suggest or anything, but I just want to say how much I enjoy this episode. I really think, for me, it's the best of the season so far. Really excited and can't wait to see what they come up with next. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Richard Guyon 
a.k.a. Kid Flash from San Ramon, California. Uh, to paraphrase one of the other famous callers, holy frackin' crap, I thought this was probably one of the highlights of the uh, the lost season so far. Uh, it was a game changer, as, as Damon uh, kind of hinted to in one of his uh, tweets. And uh, I think it, it almost makes the... Uh, the Sideways uh, uh, Flash Universe uh, Worthwhile. Hello. First time caller, long time listener. Uh, call me Ziggy Steelwolf. And um, I just watched the newest episode of Lost. And I got to say, even though there was hardly any Flash Sideways uh, moments, I still liked it. Uh, it had a lot of those like moments where I just sort of stared at the TV with my head slanted a certain way, going, uh, what? And, like, for, like, a minute. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Nathan in Starkville. I'm a relatively new listener and a first-time caller. I've got four words to sum up in this episode. Holy freaking crap, brother. Uh, I love the episode. Uh, I know there are going to be some people who uh, are going to rag on this thing because it's mostly flash sideways, but I think... uh, for the most part, the writers have made the, the entire Flash Sideways pretty interesting, and uh, I think that excitement reached a new height with this episode. Hey, good morning, Ryan and Jen. This is Bacon from Brooklyn. I just wanted to give my two cents on the most holy freaking crap episode of the entire series. The entire show had those moments throughout the entire show. It was one of the best episodes of Lost I've ever seen. But as of right now, I'm very satisfied with where the season is going. I don't hate the Flash Sideways so much anymore. And I can't wait to see Jack have his moment of realization of the island events during his flash island. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Lena from Russia. I'm calling for the first time, and I'm a bit nervous. But I just uh, had to call you and uh, leave you my message about the latest episode of Lost, Happily Ever After. I, I really liked the episode. I, I thought it was really touching, romantic and uh, full of love scenes, and uh, I've really missed uh, such scenes on Lost lately. So I really want to say that um, all the actors uh, did a great job performing their parts, and I just can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. Love your podcast. Bye. We just had to start things off with just a sampling from some of the many calls to come in on the Lost Line, including many first-time callers. Obviously, a lot of declarations of HFC, probably more than <laughs> any other episode since John from North Carolina introduced that catchphrase. Happily Ever After definitely hit the mark for most fans, many declaring it an instant favorite. And it definitely restored some faith in the relevance of the Flash Sideways. Up next, calls from Big Joe, Connor, and Liz. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Big Joe in Pennsylvania. Still trying to digest all of last night's episode, but it was great to see Desmond again, and especially Penny. Loving her, by the way, in Flash Forward, but no contest to her, and no comparison to her character here on Lost. But i got to tell you, I feel like we as Lost fans are just like little mice in a cage with Damon and, and Carlton kind of hand-feeding as they have us eating out of their hands. And it seems like every time uh, we as Lost fans clamor for something, there they are giving it to us. We want more of the island's mythology. Bam, here's Abbott Eternum. And we learn all about uh, Richard and, and his backstory. And uh, then we, we want some character. Well, here's Sun and Jin last week. 
and now we're clamoring for some science or pseudoscience, and now last night we have the geophysicists working electromagnetic forces and magnets, and it just seems like they're so well-tuned in to, to Lost fans, and what we want keeps stringing us along. I don't know where it's going, but I'm enjoying the ride. Thanks for the podcast. Look forward to listening to it Sunday. Oh, my God. I just watched this new episode of Lost, Happily Ever After. My mind is so blown. This is Connor from Mississippi, by the way. And I just, for all the people that have been complaining about the lack of forward movement with the story and how we're not getting you know, the answers, you know, where's this alternative and the storyline going, bam, they just throw this episode up there. I mean, they're they're waking up to the fact that they have these other lives. Just, wow, like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, so... Wow. I just keep I just keep saying wow. It was it was amazing. Hey, this is Liz in Oregon. Just finished watching the episode and loved it. One of the greatest episodes ever. I uh, just can't get over all the different connections and crossovers. It was so great. Um but I did want to point out that um for Desmond there was no sound when he went to the flash sideways and no sound when he came back until after the handshake. Um and I think that was the same after he turned the fail-safe key and was seeing the future and whatnot. So maybe that's the rule that doesn't apply to him. But it was great and just thought that was really cool. Thanks. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, Big Joe basically pointing out, I think, that the writers have us exactly where they want us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, island mythology, um, romance, science, all of it, you know, it's it's just this big helping of really yummy stuff yeah, on a plate. Yeah, it's a buffet, and um, we're lapping it all up. I'm definitely enjoying the ride. Connor kind of basically reduced to, wow. I... That's kind of, <laughs> you know, we watched, um, I watched the episode before it aired on Ryan's new iPad, uh, yeah. and, you know, I was watching it and taking notes and I came downstairs and that was about all I could say. That was it. That was it. Wow. And certainly, yes, validation of I think the flash sideways. And finally, Liz pointing out that the whoosh sound seemed to be absent quite a bit in this episode. Yes, very noticeably absent. Well, I mean, it wasn't the first time. I mean, people noticed uh, even during Ben's episode that it didn't happen, I think, after his supposed redemption off the island then moving on the mm, island. So yeah. I think they're being very specific as to where that sound comes in. Mm -hmm. And as we, as we kind of did the audio analysis a few weeks ago, they also changed which flash sideways sound that they're using. Yeah. But definitely, there's probably a message encoded in that. Next up, calls from Shanna, Carol, and Adam. Hey, Ryan Jensen in Alaska. I was calling about uh, Happily Ever After. I had a couple things about Desmond. The first thing was, well, my husband and I were watching um, Zoe wake him up, and he was all groggy. I told him he was going to be so mad when he realizes where he is that uh, he's back at the island. And it was so fun to watch his face kind of twitch. And as everything sank in, uh, you know, concerning being back at the island, and then um, probably his best scene of the entire show was um, beating <laughs> Widmer up. And then um, I think it was really neat when he was talking to Eloise, and he, she said, it's about time, and she meant it's concerning time. It's of the subject of time. <laughs> and it was really a, a nice little double meaning there. All right, we'll listen to you Sunday. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Carol from Boston. I thought that it was interesting that in the island timeline, Desmond's always trying to save Charlie from getting killed. But in this timeline, he's saving Charlie from killing himself. You know, Charlie's kind of an unlikable jerk 
in this episode, and I thought it was funny when he was running around the hospital. And I thought it's kind of ironic since Claire might already be there in early labor. So I wonder if they're going to meet up in the hospital somehow. Um, Desmond, he's kind of white-collar now, and Penny fell in love with him as being worker, not like her dad. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. You know, you know they're meant for each other, so that won't matter. But they're different people now, so that should be fun to watch. Thank you for everything. I really appreciate it. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Adam from Austin, Texas, or uh, at Adam Lunsford on Twitter. Is it just me, or did it seem like Charlie was very Jacob-esque in this episode? I mean, he implanted the idea of viewing the other side in Desmond's head, and now it clearly seems like Desmond has to bring everyone into that realization off the manifest, and I guess back to the island. Looks like Jacob used Desmond to bring the plane down in the first place. I mean, I'm not sure, but this episode will definitely keep me up all night. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks for those calls. Well, Shatna's saying best moment for Desmond ever is beating the heck out of Widmore. I don't know. It's got to be the phone call. Yeah, that's definitely a wonderful moment, but I think they paid off well in this episode exactly how upset he should be. Yeah, his facial expressions really sold it. I definitely agree. And the whole thing about it's uh, it's about time. I mean, I think think they've used that line before, even uh, Daniel and maybe Eloise saying something like that. Well, Kate said it to Cassidy when she's telling her the story of how Aaron disappeared in the grocery store. Right. Uh, I was scared, but I was actually thinking it's about time. Uh-huh. This was something that's going to happen. So that's true. I mean, I think that meaning that's that phrase is very significant now. Carol in Boston pointing out, yes, that, uh, you know, Desmond is still trying to save Charlie, but now Charlie is not afraid of death mm-hmm. and that uh, maybe Claire was in that hospital. I think uh, many people have kind of pointed out. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to end up in that hospital. Exactly. I think that that's going to be kind of a nexus point for a lot of our characters. But what do you think? So Widmore, I mean, Desmond is now a kind of a white collar you know, really slick dude, globe-trotting fella, and that's not the kind of guy that um, Penny no, fell I in mean, love with originally. He was a serious, hard-working, blue-collar kind of guy, and you know, I could I could see why Penny would have been attracted to Desmond then, but maybe I don't know. Maybe now it might be different. Well, I don't know because I want things to work out for them. But, I do but too. I'll, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna give us a flash sideways that maybe you know um, Desmond is willing to give up, then maybe things don't go well on the date, and she decides that he's just this shallow you know, person or something. I certainly hope not, though. I think that would be just a little too hard to take. And finally, Adam saying that Charlie was very Jacob-esque. I mean, definitely you've got now a character who's tasked with kind of getting everyone together, mm-hmm. sort of what maybe Locke had to do or what Hurley had to do. I mean, I, that's that's def- there are definitely some parallels with these characters. I know, he kind of reminded me of his character on Flash Forward. Yeah, that's right. Um, Big Joe pointed out the Flash Forward thing with, uh-huh. um, with Penny, but, uh, but Charlie is kind of acting like that character now, too. Somebody who knows a lot more than he's letting on. We now hear from Brian, John, and Kathy. Hi, this is Brian from Kansas City, and I just wanted to make a quick comment about tonight's episode. Um, and uh, I was just sitting here talking with my wife about why it is that Eloise Hawking always seems to know what's going on, and how come she would be, how how she would know anything, because um, that always kind of confuses me. And my wife reminded me that uh, timelines actually did split when the bomb went off, which it seems like the episode made it um, appear that's what happened, and she would have been there and she knew that they were from the future, and she knew what they were trying to do. And so even in this new timeline, she would dump them, and she would remember what had happened. Um, she would know that they changed their future because her son is still alive, obviously. And so it's just a really interesting idea because uh, at least helps me understand how come she seems to know everything. But 
have to give the credit to my wife, though. She's brilliant. So, uh, thanks and aloha. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is, uh, John Vatney from Nina, Wisconsin. First time caller, long time listener. Just a couple observations about, uh, tonight's episode on Lost. Obviously, we have the black and white metaphor still going on. However, in the alternate timeline, does that then make black white and white black as in good versus bad? If you look at Widmore, who is trying to, uh, do what we believe in saving the island, he is dressed in black in the alternate timeline, and Eloise Hawking is dressed in white, which would traditionally be good and bad, but with the reverse timeline, they would be the opposite. And lastly, while we have Jacob and Man in Black going against each other, they also have the alternate story or alternative story of Widmore and Hawking Widmore tries to save the island to keep the things on the same timeline so Penny lives while Hawking knows what can happen with the alternate timeline and that is why she does not want Desmond to figure out what's going on because that is how she's going to save Faraday. Thanks and keep up the good work. Hey Ryan and Jen, this is Kathy from Atlanta. I love your podcast and I wanted to share a theory. I think um, the man in black or the man in lock or flock or whatever you want to call him, uh, instead of having to kill the candidates or do anything with the candidates, I think to win the game, quote-unquote, he has to convince the candidates to leave the island with him. Basically, you know, they've played this game, the man in black and, and Jacob have played this game throughout centuries that you know, the man in black tries to leave and he can't and everyone ends up dead. So this, to win the game, he has to end up leaving the islands with the candidate. So if he can convince them to let him leave, then he can leave. So that's my theory. And thank you so much for doing this podcast. You guys are awesome. And Talk to you soon. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. You guys are awesome as well. Brian <laughs> in Kansas City pointing out that Actually, it's I guess, Brian's wife. Yes, Brian's brilliant wife. It's always the wife that's brilliant. But in any case, pointing <laughs> out that it looks like what they're saying is that the timeline split at the point of Jughead being detonated. When Juliet hit it at the end of season five, that created the split that we're seeing. Well, I'm not sure because there are, there are a few things. Like, for instance, Ben and his dad get off the island and... Ben's dad is still alive. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's the question. I mean, I thought that when we were originally discussing this, that some things in the Flash Sideways had to have changed or been different far earlier than that point in, say, 1977. Right. But actually, if if uh, Jughead was set off and there was a big flash, but the island wasn't, you know, obliterated, then that can still be the case for Ben and his dad getting off the island because yeah. he doesn't kill his dad in that scenario. Right. I don't know. Very curious, but definitely a good thought. And Brian and John pointing out that obviously Eloise's motive motivation is to keep you know Daniel alive right but um, John pointing out that Eloise is wearing white even though she wants to stop all of this from happening and Whitmore has been wearing black so maybe they're reversed and you know Eloise is the evil one see I'm not a fan of that the idea that there's one good person and, and one evil person I think color is a big deal but not really in that diametrically opposed way you know I think 
Eloise's goal is to keep her son alive, and that might put her in opposition to her husband. Well, the question that kind of remains unanswered is if Widmore off the island, the one who's in charge and sends, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Desmond to close a deal in Sydney, does he have any idea what's going on here? It doesn't seem in this episode that he's acting in any mysterious way, setting things in motion. There's no evidence of that yet. Hmm. The operative word being yet, of course. Well, I guess we'll see. And finally, Kathy from Atlanta says that she thinks that the end game is not to kill all the candidates, as I think we kind of discussed last week, but that he wants to kind of prevent the final ending from happening that's always happened. Someone does not make the final choice that ends up with everyone dead and instead, you know, willingly leaves off the island, basically kind of ending the game that way. What do you think? That's definitely a nicer scenario. Than everybody being dead, Mm -hmm. I suppose. It, It does seem still curious to me whether or not the man in black needs a candidate to do what he wants to do, but um, one that has a lower body count certainly is something that I can get into. We now have calls from Ben, Sean, and Matt. Hi, uh, this is Ben in Portsmouth, Arkansas. I just watched uh, the episode again for the second time, five in the morning, and I just noticed something, just an observation. The island has rewarded the people who have made the most sacrifices with the most knowledge of the 07 Island timeline. Charlie, Desmond, and Daniel both sacrificed their lives or were willing to sacrifice their lives to the island, and they had the most knowledge. Eloise, who, in a sense, sacrificed even more, gave up a life she valued more than her own, seems to have the most knowledge of the 04, 07 timeline. And I think it'll still turn out to be the denouement at 04. I think Ryan's right. And I think Desmond's sacrifice and the sacrifice of the others will solidify and make real that other reality. Uh, otherwise, we've wasted our time. Unless they've come up with something more brilliant, which they've done before. Thanks. Love the show. Love the podcast. And keep on keeping on. Hey, Ryan and Jen, this is Sean in the Bronx, uh, Jersey 2 Bronx on Twitter. Uh, and I'm not sure if anybody else has mentioned this yet, but it seems like there's a connection with Desmond and Water. Um, in The Constant, there was a scene with Desmond and Widmore uh, in the uh, bathroom of an auction house where Desmond, or I'm sorry, Widmore leaves the water running on the faucet uh, while Desmond flashes out. And it, it, that scene is always kind of, you know, stood out in my brain as just a non sequitur. Just why did that happen? Uh, and looking back, it seems like water has been involved in a lot of Desmond's uh, flashbacks uh, when he got out of prison, uh, when he flashed also in the constant to his military training. Uh, and then last week, of course, with uh, Happily Ever After with Charlie in the car going into the water. Um, Taking into account that Man in Black, we've learned, cannot travel over water, that he needed to actually take a boat, uh, something Sawyer gave him a little bit of crap for, um, I-, I can't help but think that there's a connection there. Knowing that Desmond is the foil to the Man in Black, he's the package, he's supposedly going to you know, put Man in Black's plans uh, asunder. Hope that made sense. I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, I look forward to uh, your thoughts on it, or if not, your thoughts on everything else. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. Bye. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Matt Anderson calling from Minnesota. I have today a theory about Desmond. I've been trying to figure out why Faraday thinks that he is uniquely and miraculously special and uh, why the rules don't apply to him. 
And I was looking at all the characters, I was thinking about how we've met a lot of the characters as children. We've met their parents. But Tedman, we've never seen anything about his childhood that I can remember, and I don't believe we know anything about his parents. So maybe his parents are significant, which brings me to the idea that perhaps the reason the rules don't apply to Desmond is because Jacob is Desmond's father. What do you guys think about that? That that would be crazy. Also, though, then you have to uh, wonder who would be the mother. This, I don't really know. I think Jacob would be a good guess as the father, but the mother, the only one I could think of that would be significant, perhaps Eloise, but that would be crazy. Anyways, interested to see what you guys think about that, so... Uh, thanks for a great podcast, and I hope you guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for those calls. Well, Ben kind of saying that obviously the more intensely you sacrifice something, the more you had to lose, the right. better things are, I guess, for you in the Flash Sideways. I can see that kind of being yeah. one measure. But he still feels that the Flash Sideways is the denouement. It's, the, it's what happens after what happens on the island and how everything actually ends up, that these actions solidify and make the Flash Sideways real. Well, if you look at it that way, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know if people were really visualizing it that way that that it was a choice and that this is truly how it's going to end up if it's supposed to be that way right but as we discussed for some the flash sideways is a better place to be but for some the flash sideways isn't i mean Mm -hmm. and so is it going to come down to some of our characters choosing one way or the other i agree though that if it if they basically say that the flash sideways was wrong and they can snap it out of existence that does kind of suggest that they've wasted our time with the flash Sideways. it does a bit i don't think they're going to be doing that and sean in the bronx really great observation about Desmond and water right and all of the scenes I mean I forgot about the sink scene which was a head scratcher and um, obviously the man in black has an issue with water and I mean as some people have mentioned on the blog water also has an impact on the strength of magnetism so I mean there's probably other situations where Desmond was uh, was wet and in the rain or something like that well Ben shot him and he ended up in the harbor that's true. He had sort of that same splash thing going on there that maybe even Saeed did in the temple water. Yeah. It was his own kind of baptism. Very interesting observation there. And finally, Matt thinks that the reason why Desmond is special, the reason why we don't have any information on his paternity and his parents is that Jacob is his father. What do you think about that? It wouldn't be the most crazy thing ever happened to show. I suppose. And, and actually, he's not the only person to kind of have that basic uh, theory. Also, Michelle from Rock, Rockford, Illinois, had the, very much the same thought. And although Michael from St. Clair Shores suggests that Desmond is the man in black. I mean, it could mm. go the other way because the man in black's name is unknown. And, right. you know, obviously the history of the man in black is still a mystery. Although but. if Eloise was his mom, that would be really creepy because that would mean he's macking on his sister. Well, it's sort of a Star Wars thing, maybe. Yeah, but, maybe. But, but not really his sister. I mean, a half-sister at best. Yeah. But still, yes, I think that might be a little strange. Well, thank you for all the calls. It seems like it's like feast or famine on the Lost Line. We had over an hour of great voicemails this week, despite only a few calls last week. So we had first-time caller Rob from New Jersey, a number of other people. Kathy from Atlanta, actually, her butt called. So, I mean, that's how much <laughs> she liked the Lost Line. But in any case, we loved all of them. We listened to all of them. But we want to get to some of the comments from the blog and email. Tom with an H writes, brilliant episode. It's finally coming together. Now we know how the two worlds will meet. The doors, Desmond, and love is the key. I've been waiting for this moment since the premiere of season six. Buckle your seatbelts. They just stepped on the accelerator. Ron Kaplan writes, finally, the pieces are slowly starting to come together. We wondered how the characters would interconnect. There's Desmond, Charlie, Widmore, Eloise, Daniel, Penny, Jack, all in one flash sideways. And Daniel, who seemed to fulfill his destiny as a classical musician, still can't escape escape his greater destiny apparently the others can't as well joy from my home state says 
That was the episode I've been waiting for all season. I am at a loss for words to express how damn great that was. <laughs> I, for one, have been ambivalent about the flash sideways all season. But with that one movement, Charlie's hand and not Penny's boat, I knew my faith in this show was well placed. So Baker writes, what an episode. Thank you, Lost. Thank you, Desmond. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Faraday. To all those who thought the flash sideways were pointless, you stand corrected. Yes, you do. Tonight, we got not only an emotionally engaging story, but also straight up confirmation of the timelines bleeding into one another. Craig writes, I have been a big critic of this season. However, tonight's episode makes up for all of it. This is how Lost should be. All of what makes the series great was in this episode. A lot of love. Christy from LA says, this episode was a real turning point for me. I actually had to get up this morning at 4.30 to rewatch the episode before my kids got up, and I even seriously considered a third watch, but had to get back to real life. Up until now, season six had felt like the show had me by the shoulders and was forcefully guiding me down a path that I was not too sure of. I've been loving the episodes, but reluctantly heading toward an ending for our beloved Lost that seemed to be taking us away from the characters we love. I thought I would be disappointed. Watching Happily Ever After, I felt like those hands on my shoulders stopped me and gently turned me in a new direction. And to quote Locke, what I saw was beautiful. <laughs> so definitely a lot of love for this episode. Only a couple of people seemed kind of, you know, confused or maybe a little disappointed in the lack of island story. But out of almost 400 comments, that's a very small minority. I definitely think we're on the right track. Yeah. But in addition to the love, people did still have some observations, thoughts, and theories. Russell and Raleigh writes, did anyone else catch if Daniel said that when he saw Charlotte, she was eating chocolate? When Charlotte died on the island, didn't she say something about eating chocolate right before she died? Seems like at least Charlotte and Juliet glimpsed their alternative universes when facing death on the island the way Charlie and Desmond glimpsed it when facing death in the flash sideways. Well, I mean, the chocolate line, I thought, definitely was to help prove that it was Charlotte that we're talking yeah. about. But I thought when she mentions it when she's about to die, that's the same line she said when she was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when she meets Daniel as a child, that's what she says to Daniel. Right. So, I mean, if anything, the opportunity would have been great for Charlotte somehow in the flash sideways to say something about turning up the Geronimo Jackson. Yeah. But because um, I don't think she was necessarily seeing the flash sideways there. But definitely, clearly being near death is a good way to see some things you're not supposed to. Pete from Boston says, in the flash sideways, Eloise told Des that he was not ready for such things. I think this is because the timeline from the original timeline has not played out yet. As a reminder, the Flash Sideways timeline is from right after the plane landed and not the current time on the island. So if Des contacts those people and gets them to see the other life they lived, he will undo all that he had done in the original timeline to save the people and the world from the island. Well, hence the whole choice thing. I mean, if it comes down to them choosing, maybe it w wouldn't necessarily negate it. But I definitely think he makes a good point that what we're watching in the Flash Sideways is 2004. Right. And what we're watching on the island presumably is 2007. So that might be part of the paradox that um, Eloise is concerned about. James from Tennessee writes, why does Desmond go willingly with Saeed? Does he know that Saeed is with Unlock? My guess is that he knows more than was shown to us. If this episode is like what happened to him when he turned on the failsafe key, he has that foreknowledge of events off island and maybe on island. And how does this fit into Jacob's plan? Well, that's true. I mean, I think basically he's 
fully resolved and how important things or he is mm-hmm. and the role he plays and just like Charlie is unafraid. But yeah, maybe he did actually see how things turn out. Maybe he's already seen the end game of Lost. That'd be kind of interesting Jealous. if he's <laughs> if he's going to go there. But yes, how does Desmond's presence fit into Jacob's plan? I guess still, you know, it's part of the defeat of the men in black. Yeah. Now, was Desmond coming to the island the person that, that Jacob said was coming? Has that even been answered or addressed yet? That's a, a pretty good guess. I mean... Yeah, that he was not talking about Widmore, which we thought when that basically kind of unfolded, but it was Desmond. Yeah. I can see that. KK has a thought on that scene. Desmond goes confidently and with a grin on his face with Saeed, like a love-struck teenager who knows he's invincible. That's how I read that scene at the end. Desmond has just learned through his experience with the flaming coil in the wooden box that no matter what timeline, no matter what scenario, he ends up in love with Penny. That joy and confidence he gets from this propels him into whatever assignment Widmore has for him. And I'm assuming his assignment starts with going with Saeed. So, yeah. yeah, makes sense to me. Doug writes, if Desmond's goal is now to get each of the Losties to come into contact with someone they cared about in the island timeline, all of a sudden the Kate quadrangle becomes really important in the main story. Mm. But why don't Jin and Sun remember the other timeline? I assume they are each other's constant and they are together in the flash sideways. Well, actually, that's a good point. If you know, they if, if it's all you need is love, if love is the connection, then you had Sun and Jin, but they haven't seen the truth yet. And we've had scenes where Kate sees Jin. Jack, and we've had scenes now where Kate sees Sawyer, uh-huh. and presumably it doesn't seem that they've had the same kind of miraculous, you know, epiphany that um, Charlie and Desmond have. So I'm not sure if it bodes well necessarily for those relationships. Yeah, maybe not. Michael in Katy, Texas writes, In the flash sideways, Daniel doesn't quite seem to fit. He wasn't on the plane. He didn't have a near-death experience, yet somehow he sees Charlotte and starts feeling the connection. That really doesn't make sense in the big scheme of things, but there are still a few episodes to sort it out. And why does Desmond want that passenger manifest? I wouldn't be surprised if he starts engineering near-death experiences for everyone on that list to see what happens. Heck, he could even get them all on an airplane again and then arrange for it to be nearly destroyed to force those connections. He's like a sort of weird, twisted grim reaper i suppose i mean that's that i mean that's my question too he wants to show them something like hey everybody why don't you hold your breath or i don't know he tries to drown them or uh, the 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 scenario through which he shows them something is still kind of a mystery to me Mm -hmm. i I don't think they're all going to be quite as receptive to seeing the vision he's going to come across as a crazy maybe even a religious person that you need to be baptized to see the light or kind of like like john locke that's true. That's true. Jesse writes, I think the question becomes, are you going to have Desmond running around like Jack going, we need to go back? Not those exact words, but something similar. While I love the idea they'd all know about their island lives, what purpose does it serve? Actually, a good point. What's the yeah. end game? I mean, there's five episodes left. I mean, he has to show them something and motivate them to do something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it seems like a heck of a challenge for them to face. And for them to try to get back to the island seems a little unlikely, in, at least in terms of the time constraints. But somebody else thinks that that could be it. Preston Michigan writes, I'm wondering if the sideways losties are going to take over for the island losties somehow. Like perhaps Man in Black wins and kills the candidates and believes he's completed his objective. But the they're coming from Jacob was to signify that the losties from the flash sideways are coming to the island somehow unexpectedly to foil the man in black's plans i totally forgot about the they're coming yeah who's coming so that's certainly yeah. fair but again i mean if you get a scenario where he kills off all the candidates and then the flash sideways candidates show up that sounds a little 
com- complicated. I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past the show either. Anything no, I wouldn't possible. either. TV Sci-Fi writes, does this explain the whispers? Are they voices of the sideways losties who have returned to the island? Are they in some shifted reality so they can't be seen directly but only heard occasionally? Were the sideways losties always there looking for a place to nudge time back on track? So, I mean, TV Sci-Fi is also going with the scenario that they come back, but perhaps if there's time travel involved, that, again, I mean, we've always been kind of contemplating what the, the, the whispers were. And they haven't ever really gotten to it yet. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a mystery that I hope they can address here in season six. But what if they are, in fact, our characters watching themselves? I mean, we had that whole weird scene with Sawyer seeing Kate and um, Claire giving birth. You know, Mm -hmm. he was time traveling. I thought that that was maybe where the the whispers were coming from. So this is certainly one way to look at it, provided there's, you know, they're going to somehow be able to play out our sideways losties, making it back to the island. John Fisher writes, Okay, so if the alternate timeline is not the way it's supposed to be, then sinking the island is not the right solution to confining the man in black. What would that mean? It could mean that the man in black is not the bad side and that perhaps Jacob is the bad side. Also, what role will Desmond play in preventing the island from sinking and thus preventing the alt from ever occurring? If the island being underwater is not the way it's supposed to be, then what is? Will Lost indeed end with only one of our Losties surviving as Jacob's replacement and the man in black will be trapped on the island as always? Or will we learn that Jacob was always the one who was evil? I'm going with the latter. You're going with the latter, that Jacob was always evil? Yeah. And, you know, but I think he makes a good point. Again, if we're saying that the flash sideways was the wrong scenario, it's not the truth. It's a lie. It's not real. As Charlie says, that flash sideways happens in a universe where the island is underwater. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to rectify the flash sideways, then we're going to rectify the sunken island. So, I mean, there's all kinds of implications brought up with that. Yeah. But you think that it's a possibility that Jacob is the villain in our story? Well, he's the one that's killing off all his game pieces in the effort to prove that he's right. Right. I mean, that's a that's a heck of a, a heck of a game to be playing. He's a he's a jailer for the man in black. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I agree with you that it's not that clear cut. I don't think we're going to have a good side and a bad side, but the, especially the way that John Fisher is kind of outlining it with the sunken island, the end might not be the end that we think it is. Right. So definitely a good thought. Well, time for one more comment. Mr. Z from Universe X writes, "No one seems to have mentioned the scientific name drop of the year, Angstrom the Rabbit." Anders Jonas Angstrom was a Swedish physicist and one of the founders of the science of spectroscopy. According to Wikipedia, he was interested in terrestrial magnetism. Hmm. He made many observations of magnetic intensity and was charged with the task of working out the magnetic data obtained by the Swedish frigate Eugenie on her voyage around the world in 1851 through 1853. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, they love the scientific names on the show, but certainly someone who's interested in magnetism. And hey, that scientific voyage around around the world sounds like another scientific voyage and in fact it was sailing at around the same time as the Black oh, Rock. Oh cool. I love those parallels. I love those little things. Well as always we enjoyed every thought you shared with us even though we could only include some of it in this podcast. On the blog we are nearing 400 comments which is amazing. Yeah. And yes it's a lot to digest but it's definitely worth it. I mean there's a great great group of folks, you folks, easily one of the best weekly discussion threads on Lost that I think you're going to find anywhere Really really there. smart people. Now, Now, 
Now, this week, folks have also been sharing their recommendations for other podcasts and other blogs and other, you know, regular analysis of the show. And it's absolutely all great stuff. You have to check it out. We always say that you guys are the biggest part of the podcast and we mean it. So if you haven't chimed in, there aren't very many opportunities left. Please join the conversation after the next new episode on Tuesday night. You can post your thoughts on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Email us at lost at hawaiiup.com or call and leave a message on the Lost Line at 815-310-0808. Now, for best results on the Lost Line, please keep your calls short to about a minute or so. Just hit us with your best shot. I mean, if you can't help but leave a four-part message of three minutes each and just want to keep going, that's fine. I mean, we listen to everyone, even if we can't include it in the show. But please... Do, don't forget to tell us your name and tell us where you're from. Coming up in about four minutes, we have the forward cabin. But first, once again, a great musical treat from the Others Lost Band. This is their latest track based on last week's Sun and Gin episode, The Package. The track is called The Boss's Daughter. Jaquan is one of the names crossed off in the Money got confiscated as you're watching your suitcase You need two rooms cause you're not marriaging Welcome to LA When you 
Jin Sung doesn't believe him, but she does trust Jack. Well, keep your hands off the boss's daughter, Jin, or Mr. Pike is gonna do you win. You take a contract out, send Martin Kimi around, son wants to run away, but it's forbidden. And the heart wants what the heart That was Boss's Daughter. That's the latest song from The Others Lost Band. Another mm-hmm. great track. Yeah. I like that it's one. It's very a lot. Beach Boysy. Absolutely. Actually, they said that it was inspired by Dion and the Belmonts and other 50s era forbidden love songs. I can definitely hear yeah. that. Now, The Others Lost Band are a great group based in Boston, and they write a song based on each new episode of Lost. If you want to find out more, hear more music, or even subscribe to their subscription program, it's called Transmissions from mm-hmm. The Others. You can go to their website at theotherslostband.com. Hey, much easier to remember yeah. there. Theotherslostband.com. And of course, we'll have a link to them in our show notes on the blog. Coming up next on Lost, we'll be at the 12th episode of season six. <gasps> it's called Everybody Loves Hugo. Hurley. And the synopsis reads, Hurley worries over what the group should do next. And Locke is curious about the new arrival to his camp. Well, a Hurley episode. I mean, that's definitely something Can't to look go forward wrong. to. Absolutely. Now, if you want to hear the filming reports for that episode, the episode coming right up, you can listen to our January 17th podcast and reported on a lot of great locations that you're going to see. They were at Ko'olau Golf Club for a big fundraiser scene. Mm -hmm. They were at um, Banditos near Pearl Ridge for a date scene. Um, The YWCA which uh, is... Yes, the institution where Hurley was. Mr. Cluck's comeback. I mean, you you got out to see that as well. They're on Dillingham. Always good to see it again. And of course, a a great date scene. A beautiful date scene at Ala Moana Beach Park. So all the details are there, but I'm definitely looking forward to the episode. Now, for this week, again, there's only a few sightings of the production crew. I mean, a lot of their work basically is deep in the private valleys around Kualoa and, of course, on the film studio away from prying eyes. So we mostly knew where they were, but not who was there or what happened for the most part. But the week did start off with a bang with the only and one meaty filming report that we've got from Monday. So on this past Monday, they were at Portlock out in East Honolulu. That's the very signature, you know, cliffs that they have there before Hanauma Bay, and basically the same cliffs as where the Man in Black's caves were. In fact, they had actually set it up with the same ladder and um, with a green screen set up by it, so presumably that's going to make the cliff look much taller than it was. And the scenes that were shot involved Jack, Locke, and Kate. Now, first there was a scene with Jack and Locke basically running toward the cliff, and then there was a big fight scene with Jack and Locke, at least according to Cameron, the guy who watched it all unfold, beating the crap out of each other. So mm. they're basically coming to blows and then and then finally Kate arrives on the scene. Uh, again, she's got a wounded shoulder. Um, they had fire hoses. They turned those on to spray a huge amount of water over the cliffs and over them. And basically it looks like Kate pulls a gun and shoots. And in fact, it looks like both Jack and Locke are wounded. So you've got Locke basically hurt and he's yelling something and Jack is clutching at his stomach. And finally, the last scene that they shot on Monday looks like Jack is basically standing over Locke, lying on the rocks, and Jack kicks him over the side of a cliff. Hmm. So maybe the end of Unlock there. I'm not sure, but definitely a big shoot. Also that day, they were working out at Hakipu'u. That's the uh, forest area near where they uh, filmed Charlotte's Death out on uh, the windward side 
Now, of course, there was no way to get close, but earlier someone who works out there says that they were actually doing a lot of work at the stream, Hakipu'u stream, basically building a platform across the stream, most likely for the camera, but I'm not sure what that scene involved. Now, the next day, April 6th, they were filming out in Ka'a'ava Valley. Now, this is the big, beautiful valley that we saw where the Man in Black and Jacob had that conversation oh, yeah. at the end of Abbey Eternal. So they were there again. Again, though, nothing really was seen, but from folks on a tour, gunfire was definitely heard. Mm. So more raised stakes. Now, on Wednesday, April 7th, a visiting fan reported seeing base camp and crew parking signs out at Kualoa Ranch, um, once again, actually, but they actually didn't see anything, even taking the tour to see if there was something, but no such luck. Also, they were again at the cliffs at Portlock, and the only reason why I knew they were there was because Carlton Q's tweeted a picture from the cliffside that oh, cool. day. Now, the interesting thing is you can actually look at the EXIF data, the, the the hidden data in the picture, and so that actually confirmed that the day it was taken and even the GPS location of where he was standing. So, pretty good thing that he didn't post it actually the same day that he was <laughs> filming because of nerds like me. Now, on April 8th, they were at the Hawaii Film Studio, and they were actually using the parking lot outside, so there was a little to see. Um, Jack and Ben, or Matthew Fox and Michael Emerson, were both there, but the most interesting prop present was Hurley's red Corvette, or orange Corvette, his car. Right, right. So I'm not sure if Hurley was there, or if somehow that car is attached to one of these other characters, but still very curious, and I want to thank Cameron again for his report. Now, Steve, a listener of this podcast from San Carlos, California, just called in today to tell us about filming on that day, on the 8th, and he basically said that he saw the trailers and basically a bunch of people out at Police Beach, but didn't know exactly what was going on. But I guess they're still using that set, which is surprising to me. On April 9th, the next day, they were back at Hakipu'u out in the valley. Now, apparently, the the central set that they've been working on that they finally used on that day was a huge cave entrance that they built out there. Cool. So that's very curious. Not the same entrance as the cave that we saw in the side of the cliff, but um, perhaps maybe another entrance to the same cave or maybe a completely different cave. Definitely very interesting that they are constructing one rather than using one. And uh, that same day, Steve saw trailers in the Kualoa Ranch parking lot as well. He said that someone told him that they were filming south of the ranch, um, basically using a, a restaurant and a driveway out in front, but uh, was unfortunately unable to find them. Now, Cameron did say someone told him that for those scenes they were using Jack, Kate, Locke, Ben, Hurley, and Sawyer. Now again, some of those names I'm surprised to see because we haven't heard them in a while, but he said he was told that they're filming out of sequence, that this might be some pickup shoots for episodes earlier in the season, so we can't really draw any conclusions from that list of names. But basically, I gotta say, things are definitely winding down. Now, Camp Erdman is completely repainted. It's now bright and shiny and, you know, yellow and happy again. Now, mm -hmm. we were actually out there very recently, and they had they were removing the white pick fence and kind of pulling that out. There were carpenters yeah. at work. So basically, they're pretty much done with New Otherton. It's all nice and beautiful. I'm sure the folks at Camp Erdman are happy with that. And as of today, the beach camp, again, Police Beach, Papailoa, was almost entirely cleared out. So there's not much even there to see. So it seems that basically some of the iconic sets, some of the iconic locations on Lost are being put away. I mean, they're being shut down. That is so 
depressing. It's definitely sad. And of course, we're still far from the end of the series. So it's definitely sad to see basically production wind down. But of course, it's not all sad. In fact, I heard that tonight, this is Saturday, is actually the big wrap party for the entire production crew and cast. They actually set up a gigantic tent out at um, Ka'a'ava, again, in that beautiful valley. And um, they're basically going to be celebrating and they certainly deserve it. They've Mm -hmm. worked hard. They've dealt with fans and annoying people like me. They've put out a fantastic show, a great production all over the island. So I definitely hope they have a great time tonight. Congratulations to all of you, even though we're all a little bit sad that it's coming to an end. Very, very sad. But I'm happy to say, though, that they're not completely done. Presumably there are some pickup shoots, some reshoots. They're definitely going to be filming next week. So maybe there's going to be one or two tiny little tidbits of filming in our next podcast because otherwise with the rap party tonight it sounds like this might very well be the last forward cabin and you know nice faking there (laughs) certainly not sad to see that go are you but in any case um, congratulations to the cast and crew here we go season six is fantastic but because that's the end of the filming updates that means that's the end of this episode of the transmission this show is powered by you all everybody so please be sure to join the conversation on the blog on Tuesday night please comment there and share your thoughts with everyone there are a lot of smart people there or you can send us an email or you can call the lost line of course if you want to talk about other things we're also always available for some talk story on twitter you can find me at hawaii and i'm at mrs hawaii all right folks that's it for this week it's a fantastic ride thanks for taking it with us we love it we love you stay lost aloha aloha This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.